I'm Joyce Hornady. You might say accuracy is my business. I make bullets. You are listening to the Hornady Podcast. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning into the Hornady Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Swerzik, and today, a full table to my left, Assistant Director of Engineering, Joe Thielen, sitting across from Senior Ballistician, Jaden Quinlan, and we're joined today by former Senior Ballistic Scientist and uh, industry legend, I'll say, uh, Dave Emery. Dave, thanks for coming on the show, and guys, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Seth. Good yeah. to be here, guys. We need one of those, like, applause, you yeah. know, things. <laughs> and so, like, when Dave, you know, right. Yeah, <laughs> Judd, uh, behind the scenes here, get us, yeah, maybe an applause uh, button, you know, like on the radio. Like, like, the guy yeah, sitting on the radio. They all yeah. clap and cheer. Where'd you find that old fart at? Uh, <laughs> uh, well, the reason I got you guys gathered today, we've got a, a, a series of products that permanently changed the scape of not just Hornady manufacturing, but really as a small cow industry as a whole for commercial recreational shooters and hunters it really changed things uh permanently and, and it and it made a a monumental shift i think in what was possible with bullet projectile and design and what i'm talking about is our eldx eld match and the heat shield tip and those three things all kind of happened uh not simultaneously um, but really close together and there was a, a Doppler radar that was a, a new purchase or newer purchase at the time. And that really propagated a huge amount of testing and development and research. And it led to product developments that, like I said, have permanently changed what Hornady is in the industry. And uh, that products group really came from U3. And yeah. And we got to give a big shout out though to Ryan Damon. I mean, he's oh, gone, yes. he's yeah. gone training yeah. now and yeah. that man was instrumental in the tooling, building design, the manufacturing of those projectiles. So we got to yeah. give, we got. And Ryan's been on the podcast quite a bit. So the avid listeners will know, know who he, yeah. 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 Ryan, Ryan turned our ideas and concepts into hardware. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, we that's, got, that's a huge part of that. We got to give a shout out to him. I know he's gone on some training now, yeah. but. Yeah. Well, a big, yeah. Shout out to Ryan. Like, like Dave just said turned the idea into hardware and it's one thing to have some tools and dies and punches made and everything okay you got a, a bullet that comes out looking like you want it but now that machine has to sing it has to run uncontrollable uh at one or two strokes a second making bullets that are consistent and efficient and uh he really set those things up and now you know you go out into j cell or something like that and see these bullets making you know like i said yeah 40 to 70 strokes a, a, minute, yeah. a minute making bullets uh, up and down and yeah, I, uh, he did a good job with I that. think this was the project where a lot of things really came together for Ryan and where he really cut his teeth and established himself as a pretty premier guy when it came to bullet designing uh, and manufacturing yeah, I would second yeah. that well before we get to the mass production of these awesome products we have to go back in time a little bit so let's set the stage here I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was around the 2013-14 time frame when mm -hmm. this kind of kicked off as like a, hey, we should we 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 need to get involved here. Yeah, yeah. I think we got the radar yeah. in late 13, yeah. early 14. Yeah, I think it was 14. Yeah, but and, we were dabbling with it before we got the radar from a bullet other, design. From a bullet standpoint. design, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yep. 
Well, and yeah. I think what, what was going to, was kind of going on in the industry was there was a shift where technology was starting to uh, advance with laser range finding capability and rifle performance, custom rifle availability, uh, optics, good turrets. turrets yeah. And we were seeing a, a larger and growing group of hunters start to push the envelope of what was traditional range shooting. What, what yeah. was the group in Wyoming? It, it was where uh, Aaron and Gunworks came out of. They were the ones that really started. Oh, Best of the West. Best of the West was really the guys that started the legitimate attempts at non-traditional hunting mm-hmm. ranges. And then Gunworks kind of came off of that, and Aaron really started pushing it pretty hard on that. Mm-hmm. And then you had. Then there was a bunch of other one, little little ones, and up. then you had a couple of bullet companies that were trying to say, "Oh, we have long range bullets," and it's like, eh, yeah, not <laughs> really. I mean, maybe accuracy standpoint, but not terminal performance. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah, terminal performance is an often misunderstood metric, uh, even within the industry, and so that was happening. And at that same time, you know, you had like you mentioned Ryan Damon, you had Joe, Mitch, uh, Jaden, and Dave. You guys having conversations how can we make a a bullet that's going to better perform for hunting at those non-traditional distances and still provide the accuracy and then at the same time as i understand it jason hornady was on a hunt and someone was using one of these uh, bullet brands that touted it as a long-range hunting bullet and and he had witnessed a a couple of from what i understand bullet failures where they made good shots where you want them and the bullet just failed to perform terminally and he kind of came back and said hey we need we need you guys need to work on this yeah Yeah. whether we like it or not whether we agree with it or not is inconsequential it's happening and let's give them the right tool for the job i think that was the event that legitimized our dabblings at that point in time and turned it into something from mental exercises and thinking about this and talking about it that hey you know this needs to be a project let's go yeah let's actually yeah yeah all right so you guys get the stamp of approval I need you to make me the perfect bullet. You need to make a bullet that's match accurate and has terminal performance at non-traditional ranges, at those extended ranges. So what did that early design look like uh, for that for that type of bullet? Because I think a few people misunderstand that the ELD match was kind of our, our first bullet in that line, but actually the ELDX was the purpose. Mm-hmm. That's sure. what we were doing. Because mm-hmm. we, already, we already had the, the AMAXs at the time, which mm-hmm. are your match bullets yeah but we knew we you guys had already shot plenty of those we all had that they don't they were not effective terminally they weren't good enough they they weren't weren't designed for that they They were were too fragile bullet correct so you guys get the approval you start working on the project what did the initial bullets look like how did that testing go and then walk us through the the use of the radar and discovery that led to the heat shield tip well, you kind of had a line in the sand, which was <clears throat> your existing hunting bullets, your spire points, your SSTs, your GMXs, and and wherever those stopped working, we needed to extend that from a you know a range perspective. Essentially, sure. velocity based is is how it works. But mm-hmm. kind of the first attempt was to take those existing designs and see if we could get them to perform at lower velocities, and that wasn't going to work. So it was a essentially a ground up, a, a whole new bullet design, and. From what I remember, you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but we had bullets that were expanding at velocities that were very, very low. Like we were blown away. We could get those things to open up at such low impact well, velocity. Well, I, what I, I, I think 
what I remember is, is we started, we basically laid out a design, design philosophy first. And we knew that existing bullets we had did not have the aerodynamics to do what we needed to do to get extended range out of them. And we said, look, the first thing we got to do is quantify what does the external shape of these things have to be to get the retained velocities we need to extend the range yeah, out we, here. Because SSTs had a candler, yep. shorter boat tail. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yep. That's, yeah. That's, it was, you know, back, you know, optimize the ojive shape, you know, what's the best possible boat tail length and shit, you know, all that. And, and that was where the radar started coming in. And then it got to be, what do we do internally now to keep this thing from totally disintegrating at 150 yards, but yet give us a meaningful terminal performance at 700 yards. Sure. Yeah. That's, and, a, that's a tall order to do both. Oh, oh yeah, it, it was. was. But we had worked on, we had FTX, so mm -hmm. we had all the data and the knowledge that we knew we could make stuff expand really low. But then those tip shapes didn't give us what, because right. remember we put them in a lathe, you mm -hmm. drilled holes and oh, yeah. bullets and we yep. inserted tips and okay, we got that part, but that didn't give us the downrange aerodynamics that yeah. we needed. I remember that vividly because yeah. we put them soft tips in there and that didn't Yeah, did yeah not we put work. the soft I mean, tips in there. worked great terminally, didn't work for other stuff. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think from what I remember from the discussions, all of us had suspicions about the tips we were using at the time because I, I i remember you and me talking specifically saying i know doggone well at three thousand foot per second the stagnation temperatures on these tips is way the heck over the melting point two two yeah. to three times yeah, two to higher, three times, times higher. and we were doing the 3200 and you and i went out for one of the very early time because we made the bullet first we didn't have the internals yet but we made the bullet externally and yep. made some of them and we went out and tested them, and I, as I remember, we had tested some of them, and we weren't getting the BCs we wanted downrange. Well, you know, what's this is should be a higher BC than this. And then we pulled up on the radar the drag curve, and I remember saying, "Hey, Jaden, come here and look at this." And it's like, why is this drag curve shaped this way? It's not supposed to do this. It's going the wrong <laughs> way. way. Yes, yeah. it's exactly what it was. <laughs> yeah, and we said these tips something mechanical is going on here as this bullet goes down range in the first you know between 200 and 500 yards and something's going on here because this should not be acting this way mm -hmm. and then i think didn't we come back and have somebody in the tool plant make us like a dozen aluminum mm -hmm. tips That's exactly what we did that and then exactly i think if i remember did. we put them in I, I maybe we just replaced the tips and we came back it's like oh there's the problem okay there yeah. yeah, we narrowed Problem. in on that yeah. pretty quick. Yep. Yeah, but yeah, that's exactly what we did. They turned. I don't know if it was white, whatever. They turned us a few of those metal tips out and put them in there because we pulled the other ones out and just stuck yep. them in there. Yeah, I I yeah. remember that now. And that really started the race to finding a material that would solve that. That right. would act yeah. like sure. the aluminum did. Yep, that turned into a. Um, what do you use that'll give us what we need and, and is it affordable? Yeah. Because there were more exotic plastics than what we used, but it was like, holy cow, these are getting expensive. Yeah, it had to be economical, it had to be still easy to manufacture, yep. it had to be consistent, and had to have that higher melt point. Yep. So yeah, so now I'm sure you're like, man, where are we going with this? Cause no, we're, but it was all, all of that stuff was literally in crammed in those few years, ELDX, ELD match, heat shield. They yeah. all culminated at the same time. Well, from, from what I remember of the story, and I was completely uninvolved, but uh, I remember in September of 2014, I knew you guys were working on a, on a big project, and Jaden and I were running the Sniper Adventure Challenge, 
yeah. in uh, Wyoming, and we were on some long death march through the Wyoming prairie and uh, going to our next checkpoint, and this is what we were talking about. And I remember him like explaining that you guys had a bullet that you thought was that was it, like we're we're ready to go. And you're never going to believe this, but it, the the tips are absolutely deforming in flight, and we got to go back to the drawing board and figure this out. Because yeah, I think we were at the point of marketing launch when we did we, that right. trip. We no, were getting we, the yeah, BC we numbers were, for launch. We were down to like a month before they were going to announce new yeah. products. And we went into Steve's office and said, hey, Steve, we, we, need, I was ner- we need more remember, time on this. Do you remember that, Dave? Yeah. I was nervous as I was a cat. Too. I was kind of uncomfortable. Major product launch. Yep. And I'm like, we got to go tell up, them. Up to that point, you're telling everybody, hey, this, this thing's great. great. It's working good. Yeah. You know, here's the different here's bullets the terminal, that are going to be in the line. Terminal performance Everybody's excited. And then all of a sudden we're like, Oh, we got to stop. Uh, yeah, because, and we needed that time because the plastic oh, we came up with, we had to completely redesign all the molds mm-hmm. and it took us three to four months to come up with the plastic. And then we made a couple of like two shot molds, you know, it, 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 we needed that whole year to, to get develop oh, yeah. all of that sorted out. Yeah. And we went through three or four iterations of material between existing stuff that was deforming in flight and what is now heat shield tip. We had a bunch of different materials that we had gone out and right, tested, and 100%. it was it was this continuation of no, that's not there yet. No, that's not there yet. Source something new, you know, until we yeah. finally found it. Wow. Well, you guys did find it. You came with the heat shield tip, and now we talked about the external, you know, the shape drag features with the ogive and the and the boat tail, and really optimizing everything from the external perspective. So on the inside of the ELDX, that's something that we've really not done before either that was a, a combination of kind of existing technology but stacked together uniquely so walk us through the inside of the eldx and how that design process worked out well we decided very very early on that we did not want to use a bonded bullet because it was very very difficult in fact we never really did see a bonded bullet that gave the accuracy that we needed so we to said, this day yeah, yeah. look and that's because is, of the heating process used to bond the bullet you well, think, or the lead displacement? You got to have really thick jackets to get terminal performance out of bonded bullets, and you can't control the concentricity well enough. Mm. And okay. then you heat them up and melt them. Yeah, and I, I don't know how those things obturate in the barrel. They're just, they, they're they soft. Not, yeah. They just okay. do not seem to work as well. So you knew it was going to be a it, it traditional had to be cup a and core. Drawn jacket, bullet. And I think, if I remember right, after some initial testing, we basically said, what okay, the design philosophy here is, okay, this is not going to be a perfect high retention weight bullet at shorter ranges, but if we can make a jacket to, you know, basically continually expand, but not give up the ghost at high velocities and give you at least a core of 50 or 60% to penetrate, it's going to do anything you need it to do. Mm -hmm. And then we defer a little bit towards trying to get the more classic expand bullet expansion at that longer distances yeah kind of 400 plus yards when that velocity bled off a little bit so we as i remember the traditional interlock is pretty low in the bullet and we went with a i think we decided that fairly early on we went with a really heavy shank and put the interlock up real high and and that kind of somewhat came from the critical duty duty. bullets exactly where that that philosophy Uh came from that where hey you can kind of make things stop and maybe even like a sheer point stuff break off here you know it's a, it's a pre-stressed point right. and you can hang on to this bottom half of the bullet yeah, yeah that's exactly what it was yeah, that was so our that interlock kind of an existing technology that we've been using for 
a very long time. And it's a, you can think of it as the listener who might not be familiar with it as a ring inside the bullet that simply squeezes the lead core. Uh, it is gouging into it, mechanically holding the lead with that ring inside the jacket. Uh, and that, like you said, it pre-stresses the bullet. The stuff above it can expand and, and possibly shear off at that point. But you're trying to hold that lead core in there for a longer duration of time as you penetrate. And that technology, traditionally lower in the bullet, you guys moved it up. Uh, which, and I mean way up. Yeah, way yeah, up. Yeah, it was way, way up. Uh, two to yeah. three times further than we had other done it on yeah. spire points or conventional yeah. SSTs. Yeah. And one of the things that, that I find remarkable about the ELDX when I look at section bullets and I compare them, is the aggressiveness of how that jacket is tapered. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, a, a normal ELDX bullet, it is substantially thicker at the base and up yeah. through the bearing surface, and then it has a dramatic taper as it comes up into the, the tip. And that has to be pretty imperative to, one, its accuracy, how well can we draw that jacket, and two, the terminal performance. That's how you got the downrange. You yeah. worked. You worked a long time, and I remember the angles on the draw punches with Ryan, and yep. you'd shoot them, and you had faster twist rate barrels, and you'd reduce the velocity to get this. You know, make yep. everything come out right, so we didn't yep. have to shoot gel at you know longer right. ranges. Yeah. Find the latest shirts, hats, hoodies, and accessories that you see here on the podcast, and much more at HornadyGear.com. I think we should take just a quick detour and talk about that because we've all seen advertisements from various places where they'll do simulated 800 or 600 yard impacts. And you never know if it's just a downloaded whatever. Uh, Talk us through that twist rate correction and how that would uh, implicate the terminal performance. You guys are all looking at me. You're the the senior ballistician. (laughs) (laughs) So the... You know, the, the velocity loss of a bullet is, is pretty rapid. You know, it might start out at 3,000 feet per second, and by the time it's at 600 yards, it's at, you know, 19, 2,000, right? Lost quite a bit of velocity, a third of it. Um, but the, the spin decay or the, the rotational velocity of the bullet is not lost at, at really much of a rate at all. It's very, very small. So you may start out at, say, 250,000 RPMs at that 3,000 foot per second muzzle velocity, and at 600, you're doing, you know, 225. So it doesn't really lose a whole lot. So what that means is the bullet is more gyroscopically stable as it travels downrange because the velocity is being lost, but the spin really isn't very rapidly. So if you're going to simulate a downrange shot, say at 600 yards, you need to simulate not only the impact velocity, but also the spin rate of the bullet or the gyroscopic stability. So if you're going to do that in a lab in short range, uh, where you download the velocity to what the impact velocity would be, you need to make sure that the twist rate of your barrel is sufficient to produce the equivalent amount of spin the bullet would have when it impacted okay. on the actual 600-yard shot. What what really happens is is if you play the game of I'm going to take a 10 twist 30-06 and slow this thing down to 1,800 foot per second and shoot it in jello, what you've done is you've made the bullet probably a third the stability of what it should be at that distance and the bullet's going to go in two inches and tumble and you're going to think oh hey man i got great terminal performance well no you don't yeah yeah when you go out in the field that bullet is way more stable than that and it's going to penetrate more like six to nine inches before it tumbles so it's essentially going to go almost all the way through the animal Mm -hmm. and not do much to it and that's when we decided i think we made up a 
an we AR, and we had this ugly old bull barrel seven twist or six twist or something. It in it. And, and yeah. we were shooting stuff to, we were matching up based on calculations what the spin rate should be at that velocity, and then that correlated to a distance. Mm -hmm. We should probably clear that up too a little bit on because Dave touched on it. That was the whole. That was the whole issue. A lot of us had was conventional match bullets being shot at these longer ranges, being tested. Like you just said, right. with a slower, they go in, they tip over, they yaw, stuff. Go, oh yeah, this works great. Then you go use that bullet in the field and it doesn't, it doesn't it's a day and night, it's yeah. a day and night difference. Yeah. Yeah. And we're like, whoa, timeout. You, yeah. you can't, Sometimes you're, deceiving, you're deceiving the customer. They're not yeah. getting. Right. Well, that's another, uh, probably a, another good tangent. So we tested our uh, AMAX early on for terminal performance and found it to be just a little too thin, a little too soft to be used for big game hunting. Walk us through, uh, I know you guys tested it. Uh, boat tail hollow point how does that design work terminally what did you guys see in your testing there that led you to to say hey you have to have a, a tipped bullet they well, they don't expand at all there's I no mean, mechanism we shot boat tail hollow points at effective i think 150 yard impacts and literally recovered the you know the intact meat plat point of the bullet the jacket out of the gelatin mm -hmm. it's like these don't expand they tumble at, and break up and then at long range you don't know what they're going to do yeah, you have we no had them idea. hit the wall we had them come out so yeah. I mean, you don't know they're what very they're erratic do. very erratic yeah. and that's because there's nothing compressing the nose to to initiate a consistent type of expansion they're relying on tumbling it's, yes essentially yes yeah essentially the bullet going end over and i think we described that in the terminal performance podcast yes. but you know that increase in surface area as it goes end over end is is and that's why some people who have shot those style of bullets over the years have witnessed amazingly dramatic bam flop type of kills and then we'll have also experienced 10 ring shots that the animal runs if, off if you happen to hit or glance off of a bone yeah they tumble and probably work just fine if you don't you virtually see no reaction at all to the animal because you've punched a hole the size of a yeah. pencil through it yeah so that was the, the ELDX and the heat shield tip. And so you've got the polymer tip now that resists that aerodynamic heating that was happening. You have the shape drag of, of a really high BC match bullet, essentially. And then internally, you have the jacket taper structure and the interlock ring to hold that thing together. So you get match accuracy, you get close range and traditional range performance, and you get the extended range performance. That's that, that really, you know, being tasked with making the perfect bullet seems like an insurmountable task, but seemingly you guys knocked that right out of the park. Yeah. And I would think the, at least what I remember, the design and all that, yeah, was taxing. Then we had to go make them and that was a challenge. Yeah, that's was a learning curve. Curve. thing. Oh, that, that was a big was a learning, learning curve. curve. What were some yeah. of the difficulties that you guys faced early on in getting these things to run smooth? Well, I know the, the first thing that really sticks out with the LDX to me was we had departed so much from a, the other cups and materials, the amount of material that you were working and then in that jacket, just the sheer volume of material to get the interlock and all the stuff in there was very hard to draw a really good concentric jacket. Yep. That's what I remember too. That it was, was, I think we, that to me, that was the heart, one of the hardest. To, to our match standards, right? Well, like right, that was the level were, of expectation. Like this thing was going to be held to the same level of dispersion as the match bullets did, but your jacket's twice as thick right well didn't we early on dave when we when you said when we were kind of set all our parameters i think our i think the number one parameter was on that we have to hit the target before we can think of anything else so right. I, i'm pretty sure it, we it ldx has is, to be accurate it, it has to be accurate and i recall 
yeah, having to do a lot of playing around with the draws and how much we drew when and everything else in order to get the concentration. 100%. Wow. Well, I can tell you from shooting them, and I've shot matches <laughs> with them. I've shot a pile of animals with them. Just returned from a trip, and the terminal performance was, I've never, never experienced anything like it. Shot animals at muzzle velocity almost and animals at, at some extended ranges with it. And it just, it, it simply works. I never have to question it. The accuracy is yeah. there. The terminal performance is always there. This, this is something else that I just remembered. And you guys might remember this too, but you know how it is when you, Steve wanted to always see physical proof and this whole twist rate thing. And you know, all. Well, I don't know if I believe you guys with this slowing it down and this, you know, I, I want to see results from actual distance. We're like, oh, geez, okay, Steve. And I remember we went out to Lexington and we had like this three foot by three foot pile of gelatin out there at yeah. like 700 yards and shot it. And it's like, okay, they work. And go back and Steve says, okay, I just, I just don't know if I believe you guys sometimes. <laughs> That's uh, interesting. So you guys get tasked with making the perfect bullet. You, you, you design the perfect bullet. You get it to run in production. And one of the things that I've speculated, I don't know if this is true, but as it, it, it seems that the weight selection of the bullets was almost just a corollary to how it works. So we're going to take this shape. We have to have this lead layout within the bullet. The jacket has to be this thick. Coincidentally, that bullet weighs, oh, weighs 143 yeah, grains 100%. or whatever. Well, we were, that was all driven by, look, we have to have X retained velocity at this distance. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, aer the shape of the bullet is relatively fixed. There's only so much and so far you can go with that. So, okay, the rest of this has got to be weight. So that pretty much decided how long they got to be yeah. and what the weight is. Yep. yep. Awesome. So, and I'd say that I bring that up for our listener to understand that, uh, we're focused on the accuracy, the compatibility with twist rates. You talk about bullet weight and bullet length. Um, we're focused on those metrics and the, the terminal performance, and we're not looking for some, you know, oh, everybody needs a 30 cal 168 grain bullet. 100%. Yeah, no, we're looking for the, the performance, not the traditional weights that people get warm and fuzzy about because I know that's, I don't know, that's that was always something that I thought was weird early on because I was in the, uh, tech department taking phone calls and you would get the guy that would call up right after we launched that bullet and how are you not going to have a seven millimeter 168 or a 30 cal 168 it's like we don't really care what it weighs Wait, we're, yeah. we're, we're after performance yeah. work yep. yeah. weight is a number utilize your space your way with the modular hornady security square lock organizing system mount the square lock panels anywhere in your home or shop then attach the wide assortment of square lock accessories to securely store firearms, tools, gear, or any other valuables in any possible configuration. Keep your reloading bench or gun room organized with the square lock modular organizing system from Hornady Security. And that, that was another conversation I remember us getting into with Steve, the 3212. We made that yeah. the long O yeah. tie because yeah. we were saying we got to offer one we bullet, have to offer a bullet for these guys that want to go wildcat and have these huge cartridges and yeah. you know magnum length magazines and all that and and you know hand loading component only that thirty yeah. cal two twelve yeah, yeah convincing yeah. Steve that yeah. so this isn't a magazine length bullet no, no. well what are you going to sell ten boxes of those and it's like 
That's Steve, probably, you'd, you'd, I think we've sold 11. Yeah. Now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it, and I bought one of those. So I <laughs> and it, it took us a whole afternoon to convince Steve that, Steve, there's guys out there that are non-traditional and you got to offer yep. something to these guys. Yeah. Well, well and, we could see that's the way it was. I mean, look at it's the way it was hindsight's 2020 yep. 20 now, but yep. you could kind of, you could yeah. already see the. The path was headed that way. Yeah. And I was going to say, thank you guys for doing that because what started out life as reloading components only in the 30 cal 212 and the 175 seven millimeter, there are now cartridges designed almost specifically around those bullets with the 300 PRC and the seven millimeter PRC. Yeah, 100%. Uh, you take ultimate efficiency, big, heavy for caliber bullets, uh, incredible design features, low drag, terminal performance, and they just flat work. Yeah. So shifting gears a little bit from heat shield tip and ELDX, what was the conversation like? Was it just kind of a natural progression or was it kind of an aha moment to say, hey, we, we've got an existing bullet, the AMAX bullet. It's a good bullet. Now we've got this heat shield tip technology that we were, you know, we discovered to, to use in the ELDX to shift that over into the ELD match. Uh, because those two bullets rolled out together as a pair. So was that the purpose goal initially, or is that kind of an additional thing that, hey, you know, these ELDX bullets came out pretty good. We should we should pair that into a match bullet as well. Well, part of that discovery of the the tip deformation and stuff that led to heat shield tip was when does it and when doesn't it occur? Because it doesn't occur all the time. Right. And so essentially what we found there was in very, very simple metrics if your muzzle velocity was above, I think it was 25 to 2,600 feet per second, and your G1BC was above 500, mm -hmm. those two metrics are the grain of salt, obviously. But generally, if, if you surpassed either of those two, um, you would see the tip deformation stuff. So That's about what I remember. So when you see it, be, you know, when you, when you see us take a hard look at the AMAX line, the reason the AMAX line was looked at so hard is because many of those bullets had those criteria. They were being shot at muzzle velocities north of 25, 2600 with BC values north of 500 for G1. Mm -hmm. SST, VMAX, GMX, the other tipped projectiles of that same era, you didn't have those sort of BC numbers, although the velocities were that high. And your velocities may get extremely high, like a 22,250, you know, yeah. well north 4, of 3,000 yeah. feet per second, right? Second. And you don't see that happening. And that's because those bullets slow down so rapidly that although the temperature is very high, the time exposure to that temperature is, is very low short. enough that yeah, it yeah. doesn't have an effect. Interesting. Okay. So you uh, isolated, all right, this is, this is occurring. And did you guys just plug the existing tips into the, or the new tips into the existing bullets, or was it back to the drawing board for those as well? It wasn't back to the drawing board. Joe and I and Jaden had gotten in on some of those conversations late, had had conversations for years on our existing match bullets that, you know, these things aren't exactly optimum shapes for aerodynamics. Mm -hmm. But there was never a real strong impetus to go change that. Ah, what got works. Nobody's complaining. Leave them alone. And then after all that ELDX work and, you know, being able to show people quantifiable numbers of, hey, you know, if we put a better boat tail on this, look at what it does to this thing. And then, you know, the tip thing had already been defined. And it was just, I think, a natural progression sure. of, hey, you know, here's a way with minimal effort on our part to make a very substantial improvement in the downrange performance and aerodynamics of these match bullets. Mm -hmm. yeah. Makes sense. So you kept the, the same 
jacket that our amp jackets that we're known for. Yeah. Move some boat tails around, some O drive profiles around. It looks like. Yeah, we we knew how to build a good. I mean, a, the ELD AMAX slash ELD match. We knew how to build those from a jacket standpoint. We had been drawing those and course eating them and all that mm-hmm. for years. So that part was it. That part was relatively easy. It was the shape and the tip and then the testing. I mean, you guys probably can, we kind of touched on it, but we tested, I, I don't know how many test shots and testing we did between ELD match and ELDX, but I know we, we hunted with ELDX a lot. Like we, like yeah, right. us technical guys yeah. went and shot stuff to make sh- double sure, double mm-hmm. sure that everything worked. Yeah. Same way with the match bullets. Shot a lot of those to ensure the, that the first the, match I ever shot with those was when you and I went to O'Neill. So Walker draw. Yeah. yeah, it was our first what became like PRS style stuff. That would have been like 14, an out, like an outlaw yeah. match. Before, it was, yeah, before. it was an outlaw yeah. match PRS style. We had never done it, and no, we were not. A, and we were fish <laughs> out of water. Oh, you know my. that was wild. It yeah. uh, that oh I remember that it was foggy as the Dickens driving there. It was, you know, a couple hour drive doing 45, 50 miles an hour, and Jaden and I had just did the uh sniper adventure challenge uh which is a kind of an adventure style you know survival race if you will didn't know anything about i knew the prs was a thing but didn't had never shot it and didn't know what that style of shooting was and man i had five round magazines (laughs) shooting a 308 yeah i was Uh, shooting the prototype 140 okay um, which was some of our test bullets that we had at some point there i shot those at that match and I remember guys seeing those rounds in my magazine and asking because they looked different. The, well, they the were trans. trans yeah, the at the time, the R and D stuff was, was a translucent. translucent. And so yeah, I was trying looking. to kind of hide what I was shooting and only you know load my mag when I was up on up on the firing line and nobody could see me. But uh, well, the first stuff we ever did was that amber color, like a honey color. Yeah, in the first stuff, and, and yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. that was the raw. Yeah, that was the raw stuff. Yeah. Yeah, what what I remember on the, the ELDM bullets was, was again, you know, and, and to Steve's credit, because he wants to make sure that what we're advertising as a company is legit. And, you know, we told him all what we were going to get and the benefits of, and hey, you know, these BCs improved this much. And he's like, give me something I can relate to. Yep. So we, I remember going out to Lexington and I think we were shooting 308s at 600 yards With and we shot the old A-maxes and we shot the new oh, ELDs. And we had the, and, two, and we we had had the two, two groups. Yep, we, on, we held the same come up and it exactly. was like a two minute difference at 600 yeah, they yards. They all loaded the same velocity, same yep. gun, same everything. Yep. And you literally just shot them on a big, we took I remember a picture, that. We took a picture of the target that. and there's a blob up here and there's a blob down here and take it back and gave it to Steve and hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's, yeah, I remember yeah. that. Well, yep. and, and those small refinements that you talked about, you know, the boat tail length, the angle, the ogive, the, the addition of the heat shield tip, the, I don't remember the exact numbers, but the 140 AMAX to the 140 ELD match got nearly 100 G1 points of oh, it BC. Was, it was huge. Yeah. It was a it was substantial. Mm-hmm. I want to say the G1 on the 140 AMAX is like 585. And the one, I think it, I think that's right. Yeah, five eighty five, and and the one forty ELD matches. Well, yeah. it was it was tip deformation was part of it, and the other part was was you know the old school traditional boat tails, really little steep, little little, little steep. You had flow separation at the rear, and they honestly really didn't do hardly any. It was almost like shooting a flat base bullet, not quite, but almost. Mm-hmm. So you put a good boat tail on there, and you pick up a ton. That yeah. was fun to learn. Do you remember that, Dave? When we were monkeying with all that stuff. And the, cause I was like, ah, boat tail, whatever, you know, I mean, you knew it made a difference, but when they started slowing down at long range and the boat tail kicked in, 
I mean, the front end of your high-speed velocity is all ogive, yeah, right? All, yep. Yeah. But when yeah. that boat tail kicked in and you had different shapes, you're like, wow, that thing just retained 100 more feet out there at yeah. eight, 900 yards. And, and then that's the beauty of the Doppler radar. You can oh, yeah. see the right. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it gives you a data point, what, every one to two feet? If you set it that way. Yeah. yeah. I it, mean, we didn't know any better. We were basically using the Doppler radar as a pseudo spark range, you know, kind of. we didn't know any better. Where yeah. did, I know this is a tangent, but where did we go now that we have you here? Where did we go the first time? Was it New Mexico where we shot on that radar over yep. behind the mountain? And we I, that went, was my, we went down that was to, my first experience we, ever it was with a radar. It was 2011. We went down to EMRTC and okay. we shot Honeywell's radar because Honeywell's got a, a permanent range down there. But that was when the Army was saying, we want one MOA accuracy oh, at 1,500 meters. And, you know, we're like, the bullets you have, you can't physically do this. So oh, we, went, sounds like a we went down submission. and shot Doppler radar data and made them a report that said, look, this is, yeah, you here's can't the numbers. do this. Not with what you have on the shelf right now. So it was that early on. Because I just remember after that and coming home and I'm like. Hey, we got to figure out how to convince man. We got to get one yeah, of these. That's we got to get started. one of these. This yep. is like that's when we started. Yeah, yeah, chipping I, away at it. I had used a radar back in the eighties, and that's where I knew to go down there. And that's that was two thousand eleven. Mm. I remember that now. And yeah, it was. I was just in awe. I was like, I we we got to have one of these. Yeah, we, this is we need this. And Dave's like, oh, I know. I've been saying that for years. Yeah. I'm like, well, we need one. Yeah. <laughs> it's about the cost of your average home back then. Is yeah, what it cost. It was a substantial part of a home back then. Yeah. yeah. But we needed one of those. I just remember we used to tell, I don't remember how the conversations went in the office either, but I know it was a few, finally a few years later. Was it when Jason got more and more involved? Jason, we need one of these. And then he started pushing, Steve, we got to have, why do you need one of those? That's a lot of money. What am I going to get out of that? that? You know? Yeah. And, and there was it, no answer to that question. Because what we are you going to get out of it? We right? didn't, we didn't know other, well, we're going to measure we'll give the velocities, but. Yeah, you could do that with range. a you could exactly. do that with a chronograph. I mean, yeah. Well, well, yeah, I think we said we can use this to refine bullet designs. Well, but come what are you going to change in yeah, bullet design? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, luckily he he saw the light, and uh, the the future of the company was permanently changed. Uh, oh, trajectory for sure. changed least. for sure. And I think we'd be remiss if we didn't discuss kind of the previous industry standard, and then how we changed what we do. Uh, and what that looks like now in regard to ballistic coefficient. Uh, I've had people comment on this podcast, like, ah, Seth only knows random G1 BCs, but, you know, whatever. It's like, we don't talk about BCs internally almost at all no, anymore. Right. I, the reason I know some of them is from looking in the load manual or, or whatever, because we just don't talk that way anymore. But at the time, uh, previous to this, most BCs were measured or calculated at a traditional 200 yards, 300 yards, let's say, now you have this Doppler radar and you can really refine the ballistic coefficient even more. And, you know, we'll, we'll leave the Ford off and the drag coefficient based trajectory stuff for different podcasts, but what did ballistic coefficient measurements look like prior to this? And then what do we do now with ballistic coefficient? How's the radar involved in that? Well, the legacy measurement methods were hamstrung by the tools you were using which was generally chronographs so you have to be able to shoot the bullet across the chronograph to measure it to calculate the yeah. bc you, real quick how many do you remember that when you showed me how to do that how hard that was we can many, dive into that too but how many chronographs have you guys shot collectively like oh, impacted still, the chronograph yeah a few. <laughs> a few. <laughs> I know we blowed up a few screens. I would never uh, admit but well, do you remember how hard Dave? we had to measure it to the inch and oh, then yeah. get all yeah 
It well, was hard well, to get see, a we, really accurate number. We went through all of that, and it's like you know, this is one. This is one number at one point, and and it took us a while to really figure out what all this is and how it means. That it it got down to, you know, this is really only good for a point in space and for a relatively short distance. And as you guys remember, at the same time, that was when we really started getting hooked up with the military guys that were like. You know, we want 2,000 yards. And we're like, oh, come on, BC's out there are absolutely useless. Nobody even has any idea what they are. Yeah, and, correct. And what you think you're getting for a BC and going to have for holds at 300 yards versus, it, this is completely useless. There has to be another way to do this. And this is this, this leads into Ford off. But, yeah, sure. So before um, you were, like you said, Jim, sorry, but I wanted to know how many chronographs you guys have shot over the years because we're all guilty of it but anyways you had to get the bullet through the screen to get a velocity measurement yeah and so that forces you to do it at ranges where you can can, achieve that which are generally shorter ranges so the industry was really based around publishing bc numbers that were gathered from one two or three hundred yards because you can reliably get data at those points yeah 300 was a stretch 300 was a stretch and most facilities don't have a 600 or a thousand yard range that okay. even if you wanted to chance it and and try to get a measurement out there and maybe hit a chronograph you could so it's not only an instrumentation limitation but it's a location limitation you know okay. and so everything was based around short range stuff yeah and then you know to interject uh, on my own question here uh right around that time frame that's you know we talked about the rapid progression of barrel quality rifle quality optic quality laser range finding capability people using tools that are getting better to shoot further distances and and those one and 200 and 300 yard bcs just don't get you on target at 800 yards no, you're going to miss yeah, yeah. So, you, no. so you tweak it around and so now uh with the doppler radar now you guys can get better bc values at different ranges um talk us through uh you know i can talk about the marketing side of it a little bit but i'm sure you guys can as well about what's on the box versus, you know, we have some expanded BCs on our website and uh, how you guys use the radar for that. Yeah, well, the first BCs we published were an 800-yard average with yeah, the we radar. Yeah, took, we took an 800, an average over 800 yards with the radar. And, and But the problem there was that, so, so BC changes as a function of velocity, and generally speaking, it goes down. Okay. Not all the time. Depends on the bullet shape. But in, in general, it goes down. So what we saw was... We publish all these numbers that are based on an 800-yard average BC, which means it's more useful for you using a BC calculator. Your trajectory predictions will be a little bit closer to what actually happens. Yeah, that makes sense. Versus the one, two, or 300-yard number. The problem is those numbers were lower. So a guy goes to a store to buy a box of ammo or a box of bullets to reload, and one of the, the metrics people use is BC. They're going to pick the one with the higher BC. That's better. Yep. And so we saw that people were picking bullets that had a listed higher BC because they were tested at one or 200 yards, not that they were actually a superior bullet aerodynamically. Um, And so we went back and said, well, we have to have apples to apples numbers available to the customer to make a comparison. So we started publishing Mach 2.25 based BCs. But as you said, on the website, we have a table. So we published Mach 2.25, Mach 2, and 1.75 BCs. So if you still want to use BC, you have other. Yeah. I think the, the, Presenting different mock values or kind of the stepped BCs is, is a good way to do it for the person who's still using BC. And like I said, we'll leave the, uh, the Ford off discussion to a whole podcast about Ford off, which we have many of uh, already. 
and that really is the way and and the light and and the truth and you know it uses your bullet uh but so between heat shield tip eldx eld match monumental discoveries monumental products for us obviously the reloading components are one thing but the factory ammunition and the quality of the factory ammunition and we talked about this a little bit in several podcasts where you have factory chambered rifles and factory ammo precision hunter match ammo specifically that's a match made in heaven and you talked about shooting 400 yards used to be a long shot you can t- you can go buy an economical but but good quality rifle say a ruger american chambered in 6.5 creedmoor and pick up precision hunter 143 eldx i'll tell you what it's going to shoot sub minute and it's going to do it at almost any range that you can accurately hold yeah it's remarkable what has happened in the industry in levels of in, in terms of well, precision it was a huge cultural change within hornady because it took us a long time to convince steve who is a very very good hunter but he's a traditional 300 yard hunter and it took us a long time to convince him that with the progress of scopes rifles cartridges bullets and all that you know what is considered a 200-yard shot to an old-school guy is now a 600-yard shot to some guy that shoots constantly and has all this high-tech equipment. And it, mm-hmm. I think when it finally converted him that one time with the writers when we took him out there mm-hmm. and we had him hitting targets at 700 yards, and he was like, hmm. You know, yeah, right. yeah, I remember that. Yeah, because <laughs> I think you were on the spotting scope with him. Yeah. And I remember you fighting with him about, no, dial the scope. Coke. Don't hold over. And, and your and, turrets. Yeah, no. yeah. I remember that, and that was. I, I think that was a a watershed moment for Steve when he really finally started to understand. Boy, you know, there really is something to this. Yeah, and the level of a, precision yep, is. Yep. Yeah, it's far not beyond. A, not a wing and a prayer. Not a not a hope. You can very confidently lay down and put that bullet exactly where you want it. Yep. yep. Yeah. Awesome. Hornady Outfitter Ammunition is now loaded with Hornady CX bullets. Its optimized monolithic design combined with a heat shield tip offers extended range performance, enhanced accuracy, high weight retention, and deep penetration. Outfitter ammunition features corrosion-resistant nickel-plated cases that are sealed watertight, designed to perform under the toughest conditions. No matter where adventure takes you, trust your hunt to Outfitter ammunition from Hornady. So I'm going to shift gears one last time Everybody that's on this podcast, I've already asked you if you had to pick one cartridge, one bullet oh, for the rest of your life. But we're not going to bring that up again. But I do want to know, uh, because you guys were in there at the ground level and, and you saw all the ELDX, ELD match bullets and that initial design, there has to be one bullet that just gives you a warm and fuzzy, whether that be ELDX or ELD match. Uh, I was just curious, of the two bullet lines, you had to pick one bullet that really just tickles your fancy. What's what's your favorite? I'm gonna pick one out of yeah. both lines. I don't get one and out of I, each line. I don't like. You're gonna pick these new gonna, questions. He comes up yeah, with. Yeah, who gets I'm who just, gets just, these? <laughs> I'm just curious. Pick pick one of each. I, I, this is one just of each. Because if you make me. me pick one, I have to do an ELDX because well, I can shoot a match with it and I can hunt with it. But if well, you I'm let not me, saying for the rest of your life. I'm just wondering, like, what's your favorite? Because I've got one that just makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside, and every time I shoot it, all good things happen. So, well, why don't you go first then? Sure. For me, 7 millimeter, 180 grain ELD match. There's just something magical about that in a 7 PRC. It just, uh, wind, never heard of her. Shoot, hold left edge, it's fine <laughs> at any range. It, you can just shoot that bullet at any range. 
And in, in my personal 7PRC, it just puts bullet on top of bullet on top of bullet. And when you lay down on a piece That's of steel, it, it, like I said, it just gives me a warm and fuzzy. And you pick the bullet up to put it in your cartridge case, and it looks like a piece of spaghetti. It's so long. <laughs> I just, I don't know, I really like that bullet. Oh, my so, gosh. Uh, and again, not for the rest of my life or anything. It's just that one. I really, really like that bullet. Your turn, Joe. Oh boy, I'm next. So for me, um, I would have, if I had to pick one, it's going to be the 3212 ELDX because I had a hunting rifle and a match rifle and 300 PRC before it was even called a 300 PRC. Yep. And when you shoot an elk or a deer or whatever it is with the 212. Piece of steel at 2000 yards. Piece of steel. Don't matter. It knows that you yeah. just whacked it with a 212 grain 30 cal bullet. So that'd be mine. I'm partial to that one. Yeah. yeah. Big 30s are special. I'm going to copy you, but for a different reason. So I had a really cool experience with the LDX. You know, we went through this whole design process and this whole story we told. Oh, I know where you're going with this. And I drew, I, like I drew an elk tag uh, back oh, home in Colorado. Uh, and it was the first time I had been able to go back and hunt with a mentor of mine that taught me how to, you know, you guys have yeah. met Mark. Mark. Yep. Yep. And, Shout out to uh, Mark. And this hunt, you know, I, I didn't want to be limited. It was my first time paying out of state for a Colorado Ooh. tag. That hurts a little bit, the pocketbooks, you know. Nope. Um, anyway, hunting public land, we didn't scout it, had never been there. Just, hey, we're going to go do this together. And, and the hunt progressed just slowly. First day, didn't see anything. Second day, saw some elk on private land. Third day, could hear some cows chirping up in the trees before us, but never saw them. And I, I had this pull to go to this, like, saddle uh, every evening that overlooked this meadow. For some reason, just had a pull to go there. And I was using uh, a 300 wind mag that Dave had built, a custom rifle. It weighed about 14 pounds, so it was heavier than you wanted to be carrying around the mountains, but I didn't want to be limited. Like, I wanted and me you, to be the limitation, not my You were equipment. a younger Jaden. I was, yeah. I was, you were yoked. Uh, yeah, back in the day, <laughs> yep. yeah. Uh, yeah, but that, that 300 wind mag consistently shot four and a half inch groups at 800 yards. That gun yeah. was yeah, so was pure. Good. Yep. It was yep. so good. And on the last day of the hunt, in the last 15 minutes of shooting light, two bulls walked out into that meadow a hundred yards from a private fence line, forest service to private. And I had trained with that rifle a lot. I knew the capabilities of the bullet. I knew my capabilities. The wind was dead. I couldn't close the gap. It was essentially a cliff in front of me and, and these two really long fingers that went down and around into some aspen trees. And I had to take that shot. And I will say it was, it was beyond traditional distances and that bull took two steps and fell over dead and it took us 45 minutes to get to him and you know processed him in the yeah. middle of the night freezing cold yeah. but if it wasn't for the eldx i would not have had a shot that hunt i would have had tag soup an expensive tag soup yeah and so that was just a super cool experience for me that was like a complete validation on everything we had done at work yeah, you know? yeah. and to, to take that one step further what you just said is exactly why cartridges like the 300 PRC exist. Yeah. You want that level of performance, but you don't want to have a custom match chamber reamer with a custom hand load and all of these custom features. You, we, we now provide a turnkey solution that gets that 212 ELDX right. to, to do that type of performance. And that's, that's a good reason to love the 212 ELDX, the big yeah. 30 cal. And now the drum roll to Dave. For Dave, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I would say in terms of a general use just pick it up and go shoot cartridge you know the six five creed is hard to beat mm -hmm. but when you i was sitting here after he said that and thinking about it and i came to the same thing you two did that you know as far as a if you were forced to own one rifle and one cartridge and one load and somebody said hey you know you're gonna have to go hunt with this 
and you might have to shoot out to a mile with this thing. I would probably go with the 300 PRC with a 212. Yeah, that 212 is... There is something magical about a big 30. You know, to... Yeah, I mean, just the absolutely devastating effectiveness is that thing as a hunting cartridge, and then to go out there and be ringing a gong at a mile with it. It's just like, what more do you want out of a gun and a cartridge? And I realize there's now probably... I've never shot the 7 PRC, but uh, there's probably more refined cartridges that will even get inside of that. But, mm-hmm. you know, that was the first one to me that, boy, you know, this cartridge can do just about anything anybody could ever imagine doing with a shoulder-fired firearm. Yeah, I love it. Well, we've, uh, we've got, uh, we owe a lot to you guys and Ryan Damon and Steve Hornady and Jason Hornady, obviously, for the Doppler radar and then the discovery of the heat shield, the ELDX and the ELD match bullets. because I say it, and I, and I mean it with the true weight of the words, that it permanently changed Hornady as a company. And I think it, it was really kind of a line in the sand that springboarded us into incredible development, uh, you know, wider popularity, m- more sales, being way more prominent in the match setting than we've ever been. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's been a cool ride to, to watch and to see uh, take place and now to see you know our our classic white box with the red lettering match ammo features the eld match bullet and our precision hunter with the eldx and how many people and i get stopped in the airport or whatever that oh i shoot your eldx i shoot the precision hunter ammo i don't have to hand load anymore this is just amazing and uh yeah us as a shooting community you know really appreciate the work you guys did on those uh, on those projects because like i said it it was a defining moment certainly i think for for our company yep. yeah it was fun those few years were oh gosh man, we covered we were a lot of ground in about two and a half years yes, yeah. we did i mean I, I i would agree with you i would say that was a, a watershed moment for the company because up to that point you know we had you know the critical duty critical defense you know we had really hit home runs with lever evolution lever, i mean we, we had taken traditional cartridges and with propellant design, bullet refinement, we had gotten them to about, you know, as far as you're going to go with these things. And the radar and, you know, we went from propellants, cartridge designs, tweaking bullets, everything else to just basically saying, look, throw all this stuff out. We're, we're starting from the ground up and building the ultimate yeah. in a cartridge bullet, everything. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. And, and I yeah. would say it's revolutionized the whole industry. Uh, yep. I'm not going to argue that. Yeah, you can look out there and see it all over. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. Awesome. Well, guys, thanks for for discussing that and walking us through. Uh, You know, it it seems like for me, oh, that wasn't that long ago. And it really, in the grand scheme of things, wasn't that long ago. But it's starting to, to, I mean, 2015, think about that, eight years ago. uh, It's it's neat that you guys can recollect a lot of those those memories. And hopefully, uh, you guys didn't forget anything. Any last minute thoughts on eldx heat shield tip or eld match no other than it was fun it's been a fun ride oh, oh was, yeah it was a lot of fun still is fun still oh, is yeah. fun yeah when we get to use it now it's a lot of fun yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah awesome well guys thanks for sitting down with me i really appreciate it yeah thank you seth thanks yeah. seth guys hopefully you enjoyed this podcast about the eldx the eld match and the heat shield tip revolutionary products we've used them all over the world we've shot matches with them we've hunted with them uh, our factory ammunition offerings and precision hunter and the match ammunition have never been the same because of these bullets and this design. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll catch you on the next one.